0: Welcome back to BDI Resourcing, IMG Advisor, the podcast. Hello. Hello. As you can probably hear, I'm joined by my fellow Scott Confidant. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonsoir. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr Thomas Calver. Hello. Hello. I'm bringing the energy today. You are bringing the energy, Thomas. I noticed that you've had a couple of coffees already. I have. A couple of sugars. And a pan panachocolat. chocolat. Yeah feeling very continental. Excellent. <laughs> um, so today's podcast is going to be about pre-employment checks. And I know for one, Tom, that you're really excited about this one because um, it's a, a very fun topic.
1: I can't get enough of pre-employment checks. Yeah, can I, uh, <clears throat> I yeah. often think about them over the weekends, evenings.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. I sometimes have nightmares about them. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess it's probably s- best to start off by explaining what pre-employment checks are yes. um, so the once you've secured a job in the NHS you'll probably notice on your offer letter that the the job is conditional uh, until you've completed all pre-employment checks um, so essentially what the NHS is saying is that if uh, they want to check uh, out the the veracity of an individual's details uh, before that doctor can formally be offered and sign an official contract with the NHS. Um, So there's a number of preconditions that the NHS trusts or HR departments will uh, want to check and I think we'll we'll run through them all now.
1: Yeah, as if you hadn't submitted enough documents already (laughs) for the GMC and your visa um the trust have got their own um their own checks to do and mm. to be fair you know obviously they want to make sure that anyone that's working in the hospital is actually a doctor because mm. um honestly there are or have been occasions in the past where people have uh tried to pretend to to mm. get careers or money out of the NHS and obviously that's a danger for patients more than anyone else and also for those individuals pretending and the organisations that uh, employ them. So they want to make sure that you are who you say you are, that you've got all the qualifications uh, that you say that you've Mm -hmm. got uh, and make sure that um, basically that everything adds up and that you are who, let's say, you say you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first check that they're going to do, and obviously, um, I say obviously, it is the most obvious check, is they're going to want to see a copy of your passport. Um, So they need to see a picture uh, picture identification and they'll ask you to send a copy usually before you arrive in an electronic format. They might even ask for a copy when you interview so that if you're doing it via Skype or Microsoft Teams or mm. Zoom or whatever, they, they know who they're talking to. But you'll also have to bring a hard copy of that uh, when you uh, when you start in the mm. hospital. And your BRP. And your BRP, yeah, if you, if you can get it. Um, I know there's a, again, uh, just with local lockdowns and COVID and mm. I don't really want to talk about COVID anymore but they can make local decisions about whether or not they allow you to start working without a BRP yeah. but that's an individual risk assessment basis and I would suggest that you should be trying to get it mm. the other reason for getting it is that and it does help with opening bank accounts and things like that as mm. well
0: you should probably get asked for it yeah and so fairly straightforward that one identity check and um, The second thing they're going to ask for is um, a detailed history of your employment and they will also conduct some references with your your current employers. Now the good thing about this is this can actually be done when you're outside of the country. Uh, So really once you've been offered a position with the NHS you should start to collate um, your, your reference details. So, again, dependent on whether you secured the job through, directly through the NHS or through an agency, um, that can vary the way in which uh, the employment checks are gathered. Um, if you've applied directly to the NHS, then the NHS um, HR department will usually apply directly to those reference details that you've supplied. Um, if you apply applied through an agency, sometimes the agency will apply for it and sometimes the HR department will apply for it. It just depends on how that particular NHS trust wants to work. Yeah. Reference requests, again, should be made just after the interview process. And usually they want to to span a, a kind of time period of at least three years, and that has to be continuous employment. So if you've had one employer during that three year period, nice and easy. Um, if you've done lots of looking work and had multiple jobs, you're obviously going to have to supply more reference details to cover that three-year continuous period.
1: Yeah, one of them, one of the references has to be your current employer or most recent employer mm. as well, um, and they can only be provided by people who are more senior than you so if you are a consultant and you've been offered a consultant job they want to see a reference from a lead consultant or a clinical director or a medical director somebody who's more senior uh obviously it's a bit easier if you're a junior doctor or a registrar then you're looking at consultants or mm-hmm. <clears throat> more senior specialty doctors but um yeah i think those usually the kind of employment history and reference bit can be split in two because some hospitals before they'll give you the salary mm-hmm. as part of your offer letter will want to see Uh, what's called an incremental credit form Mm -hmm. and on that they'll ask to see exactly what your employment history is and you can use that as a basis to to figure out the best
0: uh, referees contact details to give Um, number three on the list um, criminal record checks yeah Um, if you're a criminal don't
1: you probably don't want to get this far and then find out that you can't start what
0: what if you're a smooth criminal Uh,
1: then you might get away with it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously part of your visa process. You're gonna have to um, have your international police checks from yeah. for, for any country that you've lived in for more than six months in the last ten years. I think it is um, it's twelve months. Twelve months in mm. the last ten years. Um, so you'll already be covered for the time you spent outside mm. the country. So this is actually a bit more of a, a kind of bureaucratic
0: step. That yeah, and it's. Again, as you said, Tom, it's quite bureaucratic because <coughs> a lot of, um, particularly when you receive your kind of welcome letter or offer of employment uh, from the NHS HR team, they'll ask you to for your DBS, which is the Disclosure and Barring Service in England and Wales. Um, in Scotland, it's actually called Disclosure Scotland, and Northern Ireland, it's Access NI. Um, they're all pretty much the same thing, and the one thing. <laughs> which again, probably doesn't make sense to IMGs because when you actually apply for a DBS or Disclosure Scotland or Access NI, it will only check if you've had any criminal convictions in the UK or um, in the UK. So, um, if you've, not if you've not never here. been here, <laughs> it's the chances you've actually a, a, having a conviction or B, if you have any convictions that have actually been recorded in the UK are pretty slim. Yeah. Um, but of course, once you are working in the UK, you de- you will need to have DBS.
1: Yeah, if you if this this will be more prevalent when you come switching jobs or changing jobs. If yeah. you if you do decide to move after twelve mm. months or whenever your contract finishes, that you switch to another tier two sponsor, that mm. you'll have to have an update on your your DBS. It's actually a bit easier than the, the older system, which is the CRB, because you used to have to apply for a CRB every time, whereas the DBS you upload all of your details mm, electronically yeah. and then you pay an annual fee It's like £20 or something mm. and then anybody can access your, um, your DBS cheque. So if you decide to do locums, for example, while you're here, that's a mm. much easier way to, to go about giving documents to a locum agency. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not sure we've done it, but we might. it might be useful to do a kind of vlog walkthrough type thing on the actual dbs it's pretty straightforward and yeah. um, i guess the only complication with it is that there are certain documents that you need to, to supply in order to verify your identity um, but once you have those documents and you put it in process pay the fee um, then it's pretty quick. I think they, you usually about a week's turnaround
1: yeah, to check everything. I had a doctor that flew in to the mm. UK and did their DBS at the end of last week, and it cleared yesterday. Mm. But I think they they do say that depending on how many people have applied at any one time, it can take between mm. you know four and fourteen days, yeah. roughly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> number four on the list: biometrics. Um, so again. Pre COVID, this wouldn't be an issue. Um, obviously, when you arrive in the UK, your uh, BRP will be sent to um, the, your, the local post office for collection. Um, but as we've seen, and I know there's been a lot of uproar about this, um, that there are huge issues, difficulties with getting a hold of your BRP at the moment. Uh, but again, with the biometric side, you'll be asked to provide your fingerprints and photo as part of your immigration application and you need to have a digital photo taken of your face and uh, <laughs> uh, you put your fingers on a glass screen to be scanned and give your signature and that will encompass everything in your BRP. Yeah,
1: and uh, I guess that kind of ties into the previous point about DBS is to make sure that they've got a record of you coming into the country and mm-hmm. if you do, if you do end up on the run then uh, <laughs> they know what they're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's pretty straightforward. I've actually done a biometrics appointment as part of. Uh, I lived in America for a while, and yeah. it was the same. You never same mentioned time. that song. Not, not, not on the podcast. No, not on the
0: podcast.
1: <laughs> but anyone who knows me wouldn't be surprised to hear that for the millionth time. Did
0: I? once went to Japan. Did you? Yeah. How was that? Terrible.
1: <laughs> That'll be for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> Tom and Tom and Ryan's world travels. <laughs> uh, and the last thing that you're going to have checked is going to be your occupational health so uh, I say it's the last thing it's only the last thing on this list but the reality is that as soon as you arrive in the UK we always try and get occupational health points booked as soon as possible yeah. because you cannot start doing clinical work until you've been cleared about occupational health you can do shadowing mm-hmm. and you can go and meet the team and, and all that kind of stuff but Uh, at the moment if you're quarantining for 14 days the day after Mm -hmm. you would go and then do your occupational health definitely and
0: i I think that the one thing i would say about occupational health if you're not coming through an agency and you are applying direct um really be aware of that and make sure that you really push your hr contact to book you the occupational health appointment
1: yeah and as soon as possible
0: yeah because um it is one of those things that um, it does get booked up really really quickly so you may find yourself in a really bad position if you fly into the uk and you can't get an occupational health appointment for three to four weeks you could you are pretty much looking but it's sitting out of work for probably five six weeks to be perfectly yeah. honest so again super important that you get your occupational health appointment um uh, booked in asap
1: as soon as you book booked your flights you should be able to work out when when you're going to yeah. do that and um, so you can book it you know months in advance if if you're that parent
0: and with the occupational health appointment once you have booked the appointment they should be able to send you through what's called an occupational health pre-screen questionnaire and mm-hmm. um, again really important you fill that out and get it sent to the occupational health department ahead of time and um, the one thing with the uk is that they, they don't really accept any um, vaccinations or lab results from outside of accredited uh, centres um, so it will just give um, you mean your occupational health contacts some guidance as to what they need to do what they need to check for any boosters vaccinations that they need to give you cool
1: yeah <laughs> I think. yeah great i Enjoy mean that? yeah that's, that was really good i think uh i think that's it really uh biometrics appointment. yeah criminal records um probably worth noting that when you get when you get to the uk once you've done your oh appointment you, that's when you would go into the HR team and you'll get booked in for an induction and uh, usually pre, pre-COVID they would be doing those face to face you come in, they'll take you through manual, manual handling, they might send you some links to do some online training forms and stuff mm. um, but you'll go into the into the HR team take in your original documents mm. that's where you would actually sign the contract, like if, if you are going to sign an employment contract mm. you won't have done it up until that point um, and any kind of trust specific documentation but I mean really the visa and the GMC registration, those are the two hardest bits, the the trust stuff should be pretty straightforward, it should all be stuff that you you have um, or can easily get um, to submit.
0: Yeah definitely I think it's uh, the more proactive you are with the pre-employment checks then the quicker it'll all be over
1: Yeah, medical staffing teams and HR uh, staffing teams love it when you when you phone them and email them constantly, asking to to, to like get a, to like get things done, no, but uh, I think <laughs> I think it does it does show willing. You do you do need to walk a line between bothering very very busy people in the NHS and um, showing that you're very interested because mm-hmm. uh, if we are going to be completely honest, some HR teams are more efficient than others, um, and the ones that aren't as efficient do need you to uh, to send an email every now and again just to remind them to. Yeah, uh, to pick up different bits,
0: so don't don't get caught short. Yeah, well, I think that pretty much covers that then, Tom. Yeah,
1: I'm happy with that. Yeah, you happy with that one? Loved it. Good. Get some sleep tonight. Yeah, I
0: hope so. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right. The next one. The next one I'm really interested in is. Well, I was um, going to say
0: because um, you mentioned getting some sleep, but you certainly haven't been getting any sleep for the last two years.
1: Two coming up in three years now. Three yeah, years. <laughs> <laughs> two, two children under the age of three. Mm. Um, so childcare options is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to be the next episode. So
0: I think I'll let you speak about that more than me, Tom, because I only have a cat.
1: I don't know how to care for children. <laughs> I know. <how> to, I,
0: <laughs> but you do know how to care for cats.
1: I do know how to care for cats, oh, yeah. Which is
0: actually the reverse for me. Yeah. Don't ask me why. But, um. Yeah, we'll be back with
1: childcare options. And actually, uh, in all seriousness, I think that you'll find that helpful because obviously if you're coming
0: across with your family, mm. that is a, a big consideration. Excellent. Okay, well... Good. As always, it's been a pleasure, Thomas. Yeah, see you next time. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.